You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another brand-new episode of It's My House podcast. I am, of course, as always, your host, Chris Dees, and today's guest, one of the most charismatic, over popular funny and entertaining wrestlers to ever step foot in a wwe ring and at the same time he also happened to to share that ring with some of the greatest to ever do it uh so without further ado hello his name is eugene mr nick dinsmore nick how's it going it's going good thank you for that intro that was a heck of an intro i don't know if i can live up to it <laughs> i'm sure you can man uh, you were you were a big part of of me loving wrestling Especially during that era, man. I always enjoyed your storylines. Um, how, how how are you doing today? Today's Independence Day. First of all, Happy Independence Day. Have you got any plans? That's right. America, Fourth of July. <laughs> Guns. Let's do it. Fireworks. Let's blow shit up. <laughs> have you got any plans? Do you do anything every year? Anything in particular? Uh, I don't have any big plans today. I'm just going to relax and hang out. It's a nice day in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I'm going to enjoy the sun. Just uh, maybe ride my bicycle around town. Sounds good. Sounds good. Sounds like a hell of a way to enjoy it, man. A hell of a way to spend it. Uh, it's raining a lot here. so. Where are you? Uh, in the UK. I'm, so I'm right in the yeah, middle. I know that. What, what city? Uh, Coventry. Just just up by um, Birmingham. Okay. I've been to Birmingham. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've 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 seen you at some live events in Birmingham. Birmingham's always sort of like the nearest place for me to get to whenever WWE is in town, but doesn't happen very often anymore. It's uh, it's a shame, but but hey, that's another thing for another day. Let's get into it, right? I've got loads of questions to ask you because, as I say, big fan of you growing up and getting into wrestling, sort of around that time. Um, one of the first things I want to ask you, obviously, we know you as Eugene that charismatic, funny, silly, little bit dopey and a little bit um, naive character. First of all, how did the character come about? Did you have much input in it? Because it, it seems like a very a very Vince McMahon character, if you know what I mean. It seems like it's something that he would enjoy. So did you have much input in that? Did you have much creative freedom or anything like that? Yeah, I, 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 it, was my, it was my idea. But I do think Vince McMahon uh, did, did enjoy it. He, he found it funny. Rip Rogers was one of my trainers. 
Rip's son has autism. So Rip came to me one day. He says, what about a character that maybe can't tie his shoes or can't put a square peg in a square hole? Isn't very social, but the minute he gets in the ring and the bell rings, he can do wrestling flawlessly. Because up to that time, I've been wrestling for eight years. Mr. Wrestling, Nick Dinsmore, I could do an hour draw, no sweat, not use the same hold twice. I mean, I was pretty proficient and I was uh, confident in my skills. So Rip gave me this idea and I kind of molded over. Time goes on, a couple months go by, the agents come down. Arn Anderson, Fit, Dean Malenko. I pitched this character to them. They said, no, I think wrestling's kind of gone beyond that, that, those type of characters. I, I don't think we would do that. Okay. A couple more months go by, the writers come down. I pitched that, I do the writers. Oh, no, 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 Vince wouldn't like that. He wouldn't do anything like that. Okay. A couple more months go by. Now, I'd seen guys that come to Louisville to train at OBW, and they would start complaining, and all of a sudden, they get called up to TV. So I know now, I teach all my students now, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. So I told Doug Basham, I said, I think I'm going to quit and try to go to Japan. But I had no, I, 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 that was just a bluff. I, I didn't know anybody in Japan. I, I didn't know how to get there. I was, I was living at home. I was top of the, uh, the OVW. I mean, I was in main event matches, heavyweight champion, getting paid, working four days a week. I mean, it was a pretty good job. So I didn't want to, I wasn't going to quit, but I just want to kind of rattle the cage and see what happened. Doug told Dean Malenko, Dean tells Johnny Ace, Johnny tells Vince, next thing I know, I'm sitting in a meeting with Vince McMahon and Stephanie was there. Vince goes, I want to get back to character-based wrestling. And I just pitched out that idea for a character that I hadn't thought about in months. And all of a sudden, he, Steve Austin walks in. It was February 2004. Austin came back for to, to do a spot for something on TV. Austin walks in. Steve, have you ever seen this guy wrestle? Austin looks at me and goes, no, I don't think I have. I said, well, uh, Danny Davis trained me because I knew Nightmare Danny Davis and Steve Austin became friends when they both wrestled in Dallas. He looks at me and goes, well, he's probably one of the best. And it was like that vote of confidence that Vince goes, okay, let's do it. But then once Eugene got on TV, the WWE named Eugene, so they gave him the name. And then uh, Brian Gerwitz, the writer who wrote a lot of the rock stuff, he could write for Eugene. I mean, that's the thing. If, if you're trying to get into WWE, you can have the best character in your head, but if the writers can't write, if the writers can't connect, if the writers can't give you some material, it don't mean anything. And Gerwitz just went off and, and, and he could write for Eugene. He even wrote a movie for Eugene. You ever seen Big Show's movie, Knucklehead? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That, that was Eugene's movie. Huh. Interesting. Right. I have no idea. Makes more sense now, right? Yeah, yeah, it does actually, yeah. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, interesting. So, like, what, what, what plan? I know you said, like, you, you said about Japan, and it was a bit of a bluff. But, like, if, if you weren't allowed to do the Eugene character, did you have any more plans? Did you have any other ideas that you could pitch to get over, or were you just gonna sort of coast along and, and see what happened? I mean, when I first started wrestling, I just wanted to try it. I, I didn't think I would ever wrestle for WWE. I mean, I just wanted to try it. 1996 is when I started wrestling. I ended up being hired by WWE in 1999. Uh, as a developmental contract um, to wrestle with the guys that they were bringing into Louisville. The first crew that came into OVW, everybody knows, was Cena, Brock Lesnar, Randy Orton, Leviathan, Batista, uh, Victoria was in there, Shelton Benjamin. And they had zero wrestling experience or very limited. So myself, Rob Conway, Doug Basham, Danny Basham, who was the damager, and a couple more guys were tasked with, you know, teaching these guys how to wrestle in training and then in the matches. So I was like a player coach. So I had hoped that I could keep doing that because that was pretty much what I enjoy, what I do now and what I was doing. But I just wanted to see, you know, I, I just want to see, you know, what happened when I ran out of the cage a little bit and, and 
barked a little bit and see what would happen. So I had, I, 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 I had no idea what, where I was going next. So it was just a bluff. Yeah, <laughs> you just got lucky and, and obviously it worked. Um, so it's interesting. You said in there that Vince and other people that you pitched it to sort of weren't, weren't feeling the character at the time. Obviously, in 2021, that sort of character just wouldn't wouldn't cut it at all. The, the, the way that the world has changed and the way that people view things and the, the way that people like to complain about things. Did, did you ever get much of that back then? When, when the character first started, did you ever get any criticism? People thinking that maybe you were mocking people with special needs or anything like that? Well, first off, I think WWE could do a character. They could bring Eugene back if they wanted to. Because WWE can always put something out there and make it right. They took the mask off of Kane and they made it believable. You know what I mean? I mean, they've done yeah. so many. They start a storyline. You think there's no way this is horrible. Then the next week rolls around. Oh, my God. Now I get it. And it's like, you know, <laughs> they could do it because they got the best writers and the best production team in, in the world. But as far as when I first started, I think there were some uh, some radio DJs or, or news outlets that were like, <clears throat> what's WWE doing now? This is, you know, this is not right. This, this isn't good. And then it was it was like four weeks that Eugene was on TV before I had my first match wrestled Rob Conway, um, and then after Eugene won, then everybody's like, okay, now I get it. It's a, it's a story, an underdog story of, of, of a, you know, wrestling fan that, that, that finally gets, you know, gets a chance and an opportunity, a dream come true type story. And since then, I've gotten way more positive affirmation than I ever did any, you know, nobody ever told me I was doing something wrong or they didn't like it. I heard some media outlets saying WWE is doing something wrong, but since then, since then, I've had people come up to me, hey, my, my younger brother has special needs, and he used to watch Eugene. He says he knows he can do anything now because Eugene did. I mean, I've got so many stories like that of people coming to me, family members, brothers, sisters, whatever, and they're like, you know, you really, you know, helped this person, and, and they looked up to you. So it was really an honor, and it really made me feel good that I could uh, represent a, a section of, of, the, of the world like that. Yeah, man, absolutely. I think maybe... Maybe that's why it connected to me a little bit without going into too much detail. You know, I'm, I, I think most people are in some way on, on the spectrum. I know that I certainly am, and I know that I definitely was at that period. So maybe that's why I connected to Eugene so much and enjoyed the character so much. Um, was, was that the same sort of feeling backstage as well, where, like, your, your fellow wrestlers and your colleagues, were they all on board with the character as well? Yeah, they, everybody loved it. You can always tell in WWE when, when a character's starting to get over because everybody backstage will be throwing out the catchphrases or they have the new T-shirt on or it's like they're rushing to the monitor to see the, the new segment of the new guy because it's entertaining and it's fresh. Um, when Eugene was on Jericho's uh, highlight reel and then Triple H and, and uh, Evolution came down, um, Jericho told me this, that up until that point, once we did that segment, that was the highest rated segment on Raw for the pre previous two years. So the, they knew it was working. People liked watching it, you know, and once Eugene started to get over, that's when Triple H says, I want to work with him. Oh, wow. Wow. That's got to be a hell of a, a hell of a rub, isn't it? Working with someone like Triple H. You've, as, as I said in the intro, you work with so many big names, Triple H, The Rock, Angle, Hogan, Bishop, Vince, all of them. Um, obviously, The Rock has gone on to be the biggest star in the world. People don't even know him as a wrestler anymore because he's just a megastar. What was it like working with him? Like, what what advice did you did you get from him? What did you learn? Well, that was when Eugene was on TV pretty hot. Uh, we were in San Diego. Um, I had six segments on TV that day. And I think at the time, Raw had like 13 segments. So I was almost half the oh, show. Wow. Wow. <clears throat> I came in that morning. 
uh, Sylvain Grenier, who was Conway's partner in La Resistance, was good friends with Pat Patterson in the writing team. So Pat told Sylvain that uh, they're going to try to get the rock in today for Eugene. So Sylvain comes to me early in the day. Hey, 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 you know, nobody knows. Don't say anything, but they're going to try to bring the rock in for the segment with you. And I thought, he's not coming. There's no way, you know, you know, it's bringing the rock in as a secret. I mean, he was in LA to San Diego is about an hour drive. It's not too far. I said, and, and then, and so I was like, well, if the rock can't make it, they're going to use Rhino and no, no knock on Rhino, but Rhino's no rock. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, it'll be Rhino, but it'll be fine. It'll be good. And then rock shows up. Oh my God, he did show up, you know? So we went over our, our uh, the stuff we we're going to do in the ring. We talked about it and he was working with uh, Brian Gerwitz to get the, to get the, all, all the, the, verbal down, you know, his script down. And I was running around to other places working on the other segments that I was doing. And I would come back into the room where, where Gerwitz and Rock were, and we'd go through it. I had one line. I had one line in that whole thing, and I, I, I missed it every time. The Rock would go, and they'd look at me, and oh, fuck, I forgot again. You know, so, I mean, I, I had no clue. So we're out there in the ring, live on TV. The Rock's doing his stuff. I had, I had the people, the people was hot. I mean, it was like electric in the building. And all of a sudden, he just puts the mic by his side, and he walks by, he goes, your line's next. And just fed it to me. And I, I, I met The Rock, but I don't think he ever met. I'm, it was an extra, you know, I met him, shook his hand. But for him to come down and help somebody, give somebody a, a pull up that he didn't know, that he didn't have to do, you know, he probably had to take time out of a busy schedule to come down there. I mean, it was something that he did for the business, but it, it was it was something that made Eugene. And that's I had my career to thank for him because they would be given the platform, but it was a rock that, that made me a made man. Yeah. And then... After that, after, after that, it was completely different. I mean, then I, people noticed me. And then no, I get noticed in the airports. Oh, I saw you on TV. You can always tell in WWE, the guys they want to push, they'll close in on their face. And if they just won't, they'll just pan back on the ring so you see guys doing wrestling. But if they, you know, I always remember when Batista and Eddie Guerrero were in the angle. They'd pull in on Eddie's face all the time because he had great facials and he could tell the story by his face. But if you're being, you know, getting the pencil behind you and getting the big push, that's what they'll do. And that's what they did to me. And it was you know, life-changing. Yeah, man, there ain't many better people to learn from than The Rock. Uh, there. Like right. I said Triple H before, but The Rock was already making a name for himself outside of wrestling at that point. So like, was it intimidating at all when he, I know you said he came in and it was like, wow, The Rock's here. Like, was Were you yeah. nervous at all around him? No, you were just quite, quite normal. Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, it was exciting. You know, I was respectful and appreciative. The only people that I really got nervous around were Vince and Undertaker. And Vince, just because it's Vince, but Taker, because I'm like, he's huge. And like the, the mystique behind the Undertaker. Yeah. And the fact that he's such like a locker room leader as well. You don't want to yeah. get on the wrong side of somebody like, like the Undertaker, do you? Um, right. So I want to I wanna go a little bit more recent. Um, I know you came back. You, you were gone from the company for a little while. You came back in 2013 to work in NXT as a coach. What was what was it like when you first came back? You'd been gone for however long. Uh, had things changed at all? Obviously, WWE had moved into that developmental phase with NXT and really starting to build for the future. What uh, had there been like a change of mentality within the company or anything? How how easy was it for you to just come back in and just just get to work again? I, I feel like it was pretty easy. I mean, it was still like I still knew almost everybody. Everybody knew me. They hired me. 2013 to go to FCW in Tampa. All right. So hired, waiting for the paperwork to, to come through a couple, couple weeks or months. I was going to actually move down there. And that's when they said, Oh, Hey, we're also, we're going to move to, uh, to Orlando now. And we're going to, you know, we've got the performance center. So 
I was one. Of, I was the first coach in the, in the first class, a coach in the first class of the, the performance center when it first came out. Um, it was easy, man. It was, it was, you know, the performance center is phenomenal. There's no reason that anybody that goes there should not become a success because they give you every tool with all the videotape you can watch, all the time you can put in. You can do interviews. You, they got eight, ten rings or whatever they have. You know, they got so much. All the coaches have so much knowledge. So, I mean, I was honored and uh, I was told that I was uh, on a short list, a list of one of coaches that they wanted. So that made me feel oh, wow. good and, yeah, they yeah. and, and, and let me go 2015. But that was actually a good thing because that allowed me to move to Sioux Falls, where I started my own wrestling company, Midwest All Pro Wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. Did you when when you were there for that short time for, for those couple of years, who who in particular did you work with? Like any of the guys that we're seeing on TV now, like Roman or anybody like that? Uh, Roman wasn't there, but. Ron Strowman started in the Performance Center the same day I did. Um, Chad Gable st started in my class. Sometimes we'd have open ring training sessions so anybody could come in. And like Sasha Banks would come in, Bailey would come in, um, Charlotte would come in. Sammy Zane was there. He, he requested to be in my class one because they would have a class for, I don't know, a month or six weeks and they would switch it up. So you're going to be with different coaches every every month or every, every six weeks, something like that. Um, I was right, I, right before I got released is when uh, they brought in uh, Kevin Owens oh, you know, and yeah. uh, Finn Balor. So I, I didn't really get to work with them a, just a little bit, not, not, a, not, not a whole lot. But. Well, obviously, the, the, the whole idea of, of NXT, obviously, and the developmental side of things is obviously to build for the future and, and to get these guys that are going to have hopefully long careers. Obviously, comedy characters don't particularly have the longest shelf life normally within within wrestling certainly within wwe you you were there for a while came back went away came back went away a few times um but it, but in that time you know for for a comedy character you you had a hell of a lot of big moments like no dq matches with triple h steel cage matches uh tag champion with with william regal like i said there were loads of big names in there like hogan and vince and the rock and i know i know this is always a, a tough question what what have been some of your personal highlights, like favorite matches or favorite people to work with? I know there must be a lot to choose from. And for me, as a as a British wrestling fan, doing anything with William Regal would be right at the top for me. So my, my highlights, it's it, like you said, it's, it's really hard to distinguish one. I mean, I was in the ring with The Rock. I was in the ring with Hogan. Uh, I was in the ring with Cena, Shawn Michaels, wrestled Triple H, wrestled Kurt Angle, uh, pinned Vince McMahon. I mean, you know what I mean? I, I did have some big moments, but you know, the day you get your first action figure is pretty cool, too. Oh, uh, yeah. Very nice. You know, the best part <laughs> about having your own action figure, you get to play with yourself in public. <laughs> I think I think we I think we need to petition the queen to get William Regal a knighthood to get him knighted. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And yeah. you um, do you keep up with, with what's happening in, in the business at the moment? Do you, do you keep up with WWE or AEW or anything else? I, I don't necessarily sit down and watch all of it. I might flip on, flip on back and forth with other shows if I'm if it's you know if they're on TV. But I follow you know like a lot of the Twitter. You, you know if you're in the wrestling world, it's, it's hard it's hard not to see the news. So if something catches my eye or if it's somebody that I know, I, I might look at it. But I, I don't follow it like the whole. I, I could probably watch an hour of current wrestling and not know anybody that's on there. So I don't follow it too close. But right. Well, even even without watching it as you say you know about the news and obviously one of the one of the biggest things that anybody talks about these days is the decline in ratings the decline in quality especially raw you know 
NXT and SmackDown are always held in pretty high regard, but Raw is is very hit or miss, very up or down. As somebody that was a part of so many big segments, like you said, the ones with Evolution, the ones with The Rock and with Chris Jericho, I know what you're doing at the moment with your own promotion is is obviously priority number one, but would you ever be tempted to come back to WWE and maybe work in some sort of production role, backstage, writing, creative, whatever it might be? Um, although I might have reservations, I, I don't think that anybody would turn down an opportunity for WWE. But that being said, the job of writer, the job of agent is a difficult job. You got you to put in a lot of time. You know, you, you're working pretty much around the clock. The agents are the first guys in the building and the last guys to leave. You know, and they're, then, then they're babysitting the whole crew while they're on live events. If you can imagine all the wrestlers went out getting wild and crazy around the world and the agents are the one that had to report back to Vince. I've never heard Vince yell or scream unless he's on TV. Backstage, never heard him, never looked like he got upset. You know, always, you know, smiling and, and eager to, to make the product. But I've heard that he will yell at those agents if something goes wrong. I mean, like, like really like degrade them and, and not I must say degrade them, but just get fired up and, and, and try to get them to round the troops. So I, I don't know how long I would last at that job. I don't know how good I would be, but uh, it, it's a high stress job. Did you, did you ever have much interaction with Vince, like much of a personal relationship with him, or is he is he a very private kind of man? Uh, no, I, I didn't have a whole lot of, uh, uh, I didn't have a, I mean, a, a working relationship, but I didn't know him much more than that. But you remember when he was at the Royal Rumble, I came to 2005, I think, when he tore both of his knees? Yeah. Remember when yeah, he yeah. slid in and he fell down? So <laughs> I had gotten injured a couple months prior at, uh, at the pay-per-view where I hurt my knee. I went to Birmingham. In, 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 uh, in America and, and got my knee surgery. And then I was doing therapy there. And then he came down about a month later and he had his knee surgery. I knew where the hospital was because I, I would go there for therapy. So I just went up to his, to his hospital room and I opened, and knocked on the door and walked in. And he was about, about two days unshaven and you never see Vince unshaven, right? About two days <laughs> unshaven. Nobody was in there. And he was like, you know, both of his knees just had cast. And he like, I could tell he was nervous. I was nervous and I walked in and said, Hey, I just want I, I knew he had somebody there to, to run errands for him or whatever, but I just want to let him know, Hey, if you need anything, I'm, I'm here. I, I could do anything. I wish I would have sat a chair down next to his damn uh, bed and just sat there and talked to him until he forced me to leave. You know, I, I wish I would have taken that time because he wasn't going anywhere. I wish I would have taken that time to really, you know, pick his brain or just talk to him. I had a million questions in my mind. I wanted to talk about, but I was so nervous. So I just, just went in and said hi and, and then left. So I didn't have a, a a huge relationship with him, but I mean, we're on good terms. He liked Eugene, so he pushed him. Yeah, absolutely. No, and it's good to keep them relationships going. Like so many people who leave the company, especially if they're released, just go out and talk so much crap about the company. And I just, I just always think, why burn those bridges? I know we've seen people like Bret Hart come back when we never thought we would see him come back, but I just, I just don't think it's worth it. It's, it's very crass to talk publicly. Well, the fact of the matter is, I don't think anybody likes their job. I mean, some people might love their job. But I think everybody's got a little gripe about their job. But the fact yeah. of the matter is, I was given so much more opportunity and, and, a, and a way to, you know, I'm doing professional wrestling now as a living. Without WWE, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Were there parts of the job that I disliked? Yeah, you know, of course. But it, it was much, it was, I had much more great thoughts on what I did with WWE than ever, like, bad thoughts. Yeah. Absolutely. And and like you say, you know, we've mentioned it a few times. Without WWE, you probably wouldn't be doing what you're doing now with, with Midwest All Pro Wrestling, your own promotion. I know you, obviously, as we said, you worked in NXT as a coach there. But how different is it when when you're now in charge of your own thing entirely? Like how, 
how do you go about that and, and training and implementing your own methods? What's it like just the day-to-day running of a, of a school? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm now I'm doing everything. I mean, I'm doing graphics on computers. I'm making the commercials, training the wrestlers, booking the shows, driving the ring truck to the shows. Sometimes I'll even wrestle on the shows. Most of the time I'm taking tickets while I'm doing music, while I'm announcing all at the same time and serving concessions. So it's, it's uh, uh, a lot more uh, responsibilities, but the thing is, is it's less stress because in WWE, they would usually say, you know, we have an audience of one. Vince is your audience. If he likes it, it's good. Yeah. Even if the fans hate it, doesn't matter. If he likes it, it's good, which is, you know, which, which is right. But now I don't have that pressure of somebody above me saying, you know, this has got to be good or, or, you know, or else. So, you know, the, the, there's less stress. I get to be more creative. I get to do stuff that, that I find funny. Because a lot of times I would, I would pitch ideas and uh, I'm more of a, a Memphis type wrestler, you know, a little bit more entertainment in certain segments. I mean, some segments need to be a little bit harder, a little bit more, more fighting, but for the most part, I, I want to be entertained. And I think some, I mean, I think that came out in Eugene, you know what I mean? It was, yeah. I wanted to do comedy. So sometimes my segments might be a little bit more like that, but I, I love it, man. It's just what I've always wanted to do. Was it, was it literally just a love of, of training people like you did in, in NXT? Is that what spurred you on to, to start the promotion? Uh, yeah, like I started training guys after about a year and a half of, of wrestling uh, at OVW after I started my career. So it was something that, that came natural to me. If I wouldn't have been a professional wrestler, I probably would have been like a school teacher or something. Because just the ability to, to teach and, and to relay information, to assess people's strengths and weaknesses and then play to their strengths and work on their weaknesses and then try to build character of something, you know, that's inside them, some part of their body. If they like a certain type of music or media or something, let's draw on that and pull that out as opposed to saying, you're going to be a fireman. So you put on the fireman hat and you got the dog and the thing and all of a sudden, I don't know what a fireman does. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. So. yeah. Is there anybody in particular that you've trained that we, we should like keep an eye out for, keep an eye out for the name of any, any hot prospects? Oh, I got a whole, whole big whole big crew of guys. You need to come to MidwestOffRoad.com or check out our social media. I got a crew of 30 guys. We got all kinds of characters. Please, to, I love the YouTube. YouTube's probably my favorite, our YouTube channel, Midwest All Pro Wrestling. I like to edit up the matches, and we do our little interviews and shoot our angles and trying to get a, a, a maybe a local television show or streaming or something so we can get out a little bit more. I'm trying to build a territory here in South Dakota. Yeah, man, absolutely. Look at, look at things like OVW. You know, OVW was very much just... Just, just training really wasn't it it was just a, a development and now they've got tv deals they're on fight tv and things like that so you never know you never know what could happen well, we started doing tv before they got the developmental deal WWE's had had a longer continuous uh wrestling on tv than smackdown so i mean hmm. we started doing tv in like 98 yeah. and but danny davis knew that he was working towards his developmental deal and he needed to get the ovw guys on tv but you're right since Al Snow has kind of taken over, they, they've expanded and they've got themselves on a, uh, on a national. But, but the thing is, is that's not too difficult because now there's 800, 900 channels. You know, you've got so many <laughs> channels out there and so many yeah. ways to, 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 get your, to get your product out there. So, you know, years ago, you know, that would have been difficult. But now I think it's a little bit easier, but still it's a great honor. Yeah, and like you say, even if there weren't that many TV channels, there's YouTube, there's Facebook, there's so many different outlets and so many different ways of getting content out to people now. It's great. It means people who couldn't access it before can access it. And I think that that sort of goes back to what I said before about um, how less people are watching WWE now because they're taking in that content in different ways. You know, a lot of the time, if I can't be bothered to watch Raw, 
I'll just watch the top 10 on YouTube, you know, or like you said, go to Twitter. Everybody, everybody will tell you what happened. You don't even need to watch the shows anymore. Really. Like, the thing is, is, I mean, are we going on ratings or are we going on how much money we're making? Because WWE is making more money now than they ever have. You know what yeah. I mean? So yeah, who cares yeah. if the ratings are low? You, you, you're, you're getting views, you know, people yeah. are spending money. So in the business world, you know, that, that's a win. Yeah, man, absolutely, absolutely. That's what I always say. People are like, oh, the product's not as good anymore. Like, why are people watching them? Why, why are they making million-dollar million deals? Million-dollar deals. The, the, the thing is, is, I think people have always said that. You know what I mean? They look back yeah. on, on something that's really great, and then, oh, well, but then something great will happen. Oh, that was good. But I think people, you know, that, that's social media. They just want to complain, you yep. know? But everybody's yep. uh, making more money now. But you also got to think, you know, they've got – all their television shows, and I don't think they have that big of a writing crew. So a lot of the writers will kind of blend on both shows, and it's it's almost overexposure, you know, if you're constantly putting your guys out there and you're trying to come up with stuff, but they seem to be able to do it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, I think you're right. Like, they could end up getting burnt out, and maybe that's why consistently SmackDown is so good, NXT is so good, and by the time they get to Raw, it's just a lot of the same ideas being recycled. I think maybe that's why... It's not necessarily that it's bad, but maybe it's just that we've seen it before. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But you got to think with, with SmackDown now and the big Fox deal, SmackDown might have become the flagship show. So Raw might become the B show, you know? And then I think NXT, I don't know. When I was there, the, the, the guy that was writing SmackDown was also writing NXT. But I think the ideas were kind of different. So that kept it fresh and different, which is which makes it good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I completely agree. Um Right, one thing I want to go going to go back a bit um, about what 16, 17 years. I want to go back to two thousand and five. And now I don't want to go into too much detail about your own personal issues. I know you've been very, very happy and very open and happy to speak about you know why you were released from the company and uh, suspended. Sorry, not released. Suspended in two thousand and five. I think it was November, shortly after Eddie Guerrero tragically passed away. Um, the results of that though obviously led to the wellness program. Being, being installed and, and throughout WWE. I've always wondered what was sort of like the feeling around backstage at that time? Because I know that drugs have always been and steroids have always been sort of part and parcel of, of wrestling. They've always been there in the background, especially during the 90s and the drug trials and all that kind of stuff. So when the wellness policy came in, what was the feeling amongst the locker room? Like, Did it have any guys worried? Did it put people on edge at all? Like, What was your experience of that experience um I, I don't know i i don't think a lot of guys were really nervous I, th I think they saw it as a good thing because the fact of the matter is if you go to a doctor a doctor assesses you and gives you a prescription for something then that's that's legal mm. and that was the thing is the wellness policy kind of cut out illegal drugs they were you know they were testing for steroids but if you had a, a, a reason that you needed it, low testosterone or something, you know, the, the doctors can prescribe it, then it was okay. And most of the guys, especially the guys in the tip top, would, would, would have, you know, ways to get what they needed the right way. Yeah. Huh, fair enough. No, it's just always one of those kind of things that I wondered about because you hear so much bad about it. You hear so much bad, especially that 90s going into the 2000s period. The way people build it up is like everybody was on drugs. Everybody was buying drugs in the locker room and it just doesn't, you know, it's just one of those things that I've always wanted to have cleared up a little bit. 
I think I think at some point I think at some point that the, they started you know get getting those guys out of the locker room or they all started dying. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean yeah. th- there were there were times when 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 stuff was around and here and there, but it wasn't like those stories that you're talking about where you come in and somebody have the suitcase and they're passing around and selling and <laughs> town to town and you know whatever you know it, it wasn't the, uh, the the 80s anymore. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair enough, man. Um, that's kind of what I was was hoping that you would say, to be honest. Um, Right, a couple of things that I want to do just before I let you go and enjoy the rest of your uh, Independence Day. With every guest that I have on, I know this is such a common question, but I always like to know, especially from a wrestler, from somebody within the industry, it's always interesting to know who like your heroes were and who you who you view to be the greatest of all time. Because it's such a it's such a hot topic. Everybody's got a different idea. There's never going to be a definitive answer. So, could you tell me who's on your Mount Rushmore? That's right. That's what we had. I'm, I'm in the Mount Rushmore State, South Dakota. <laughs> so four, four faces on Mount Rushmore, right? I mm-hmm. think you got to say Hogan, Cena. Hogan, Cena. It's a tough one. Well, the thing is, is I think, I think Vince has got to be on it. He's got to be the George Washington. Yes, and yes. I think a lot of people. I thought I think a lot of people don't don't think like that. So that, that cuts down your 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 choices. But Hogan Cena. But then we've got another monument here called Crazy Horse, which is even bigger than Mount Rushmore. And I think The Rock is Crazy Horse. You know, I I, I would put The Rock on Mount Rushmore, but I think he's exceeded professional wrestling, and he's got a monument of his own. I had another one on, on Mount Rushmore. I can't remember who it was. I don't know. Flair, Ric Flair, so many people put Flair in there. And The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, that's what I mean. It's so subjective. Yeah. It's either, like who do you think was the greatest or who were your favorites? Because there's that's two very different lists, isn't right. it? Right. So I, I asked my, my students or if I do seminars, I say, okay, what was the greatest match of all times? And people will say, you know, Undertaker against uh, Shawn Michaels or, or Ricky the Dragon Steamboat against Macho Man. But the fact of the matter is we're in a business, we're in a business to make money. So the greatest match of all time was the match that drew the most people or made the most money. So, so far, I think that's been uh, Triple H against Roman Reigns, right? When they were in that Dallas stadium at WrestleMania. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they, they drew the largest crowd, I think, of, of pretty much of all time. But then you hear stories about when Antonio Inoki and, and Ric Flair went to North Korea and wrestled. 250,000 people showed up, you know. Yeah. The, the Great Gama in India, there were 500,000 people there. But I think those are a lot of stories and lore, but... You got to look at those matches that drew people and drew money and base it off that. What's your favorite match of all time? Once I saw Dynamite Kid, my, my, my wrestling view was changed. That, that was phenomenal. And he, he revol- revolutionized my thought as well as the business. He's probably one of my favorites. So, yeah, like I say, it's, it's very subjective. You could have two or three different lists. Um, mine's always, I'm glad you said Cena because Cena always goes on mine. Flair, Hogan, Cena, and Chris Jericho are always my four, I think. Nobody ever says Jericho, but for me, he has stayed relevant for like three decades, right. always reinvented himself, always yes. been someone to talk about, you know, he's, why else would AEW start their promotion with him as the top guy? You know, it, it speaks volumes for him. Um, right. Last thing I want to do before I let you go, this is something I'm going to start doing with all of my guests and you're actually the first person I'm doing this with. So you're sort of like a guinea pig, <laughs> I guess, in a way. Um I'm just going to throw some names at you, guys from the roster that you would have worked with at the time. Just just really want to know, like, were they cool to work with? Were they not so cool to work with? If you've got any 
fun little stories about them, then by all means, throw them in as well. Um, I want to start off with one probably not as often talked about, the Great Carly. Great Carly? Great Carly was a great guy, but he was enormous and strong. And he was kind of uh, unstable, like like standing, his, his, his uh, balance, because his, like, his legs were oddly built. It's like knees down. He, he was not as tall as knees up. And it was just, that's why they were always shooting straight up. Cause like he walked kind of funny and you know, they never went off his feet until he lost. Um, but he was absolutely, you know, cool guy, but he would hurt you and not know it. So I would have to convince him to do less moves. To, I, would have, I had to convince him, give me one move and beat me. And, and that way it makes you look so much better when he wanted to do five moves. I'm, I'm not taking a clothesline and a slam and all this shit that he wants to do and hurt me and then hit me with that finish and knock me out. Just give me a finish. That'd be it. So. <laughs> just that one big chop to the head. Yeah. Nice and easy. Just keep it clean. Well, the, the one when you do that, that double choke slam and they throw you down, that yeah. one was a cat one. That one knock you out. I mean, a lot of guys complained about that because if we want to bump, we want to come straight down. If in that, we smack down like that. And then there's really no way, less way to protect yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Next one, uh, Sean Michaels. Sean was always great to us. Like, I was very good friends with Lance Cade. Sean originally trained Lance Cade, so I would get to be around and get to talk to him, and he would come and sit with us and chit-chat. Um, it was always super nice to me, and he, he took a, a liking to, to myself and Rob Conway and would tell us, you know, how, how our matches were good or bad. I remember one time we were in England, and he come and just ripped our ass because we were doing similar stuff in every town. He's like, you know, it's, you're just going through the motions. So it was really a time to step it up and say, hey, we need to keep it fresh and new and different. So, <clears throat> oh, um, Next one. Uh, let's say Snitsky, Gene Snitsky, another Eugene. Yeah, yeah. Snitsky's actually he's a great dude. Traveled around with him a lot, but uh, the foot fetish thing was absolutely true. I remember we were on a flight to the <laughs> Philippines, sixteen-hour flight to the Philippines, and towards the end of the flight, he convinced one of the the uh, airline stewardesses to take her shoes off so he could touch her feet. And I'm thinking, I've seen this woman walk up and down the aisles for sixteen hours serving drinks, and now you want to touch her feet? Well, why don't you do that when you first get on the plane? But it was, it was absolutely cool to, to, to travel with. That's a weird story. Wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I, was not expecting I saw that him do it several times. I mean, like, like the woman had stockings on, but the woman had no stockings. That foot would be in the mouth right away. Boom. Well, and he was a weird dude, weird dude on screen. So I guess at least he's just, just keeping well, kayfabe, isn't he? <laughs> well, no, that's just it. That was him. And, and then they just brought it out on TV. That's the <laughs> stuff he did. He would get pedicures and have his toes painted. Uh, we're in Australia and we had like, a, we all had a, 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 I don't know what it's called, we were outside and he, every night be smoking a cigar, wearing stockings and toes out. Okay. I don't get it. <laughs> no, no, fair enough. Each to their own. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> has their own nuances. That's fair enough. Um, right. Last one that I want to ask about, as I said before, as a British wrestling fan, I'd love to know a bit about William Regal. What was he like to, to spend time with? Oh, it was great. So I met Regal years before when, when I was, when, I, when we would come up and do extra work and Regal and Rip Rogers were very good friends. They lived together in Germany when they were wrestling there. So Regal would always, you know, talk to us and, and help us out a little bit. But then when I was paired with him, I mean, I, I thought it was brilliant writing to put Bischoff as, as Eugene's uncle. So I get instant credibility and then pair me in the odd couple situation with myself and William Regal. Well, we became very good friends. We started riding together and then uh, Tajiri was off for a little bit, and he came back. So Tajiri got in the car with us. So it's the three of us traveling around. It's like Barnum and Bailey Circus. 
I remember, and, and when Regal and I were together, it was always U- Eugene and, and William Regal anywhere. We, you know, we, I would drive, and I'd come in the parking lot. All the fans would be out there, and I'd swerve a little bit and park, and I'd jump out and I'd go, I just got my driver's permit. And Regal would come out like he's having the heart attack, you know, <laughs> riding shotgun. Oh, man. That makes me I, – I, I love William Regal. I can just imagine he's he's so, like, now we see him as such like a, a straight-up authority figure, but people forget he was he's just one of the most charismatic men to ever step in WWE. Underrated promos, always happy to just make a fool of himself. That's why I loved him so much. I'll never forget the um what was it called? The when he had to be Paul Virtual's wench. Yeah, yeah. When he had to dress up in full drag. Amazing. Such an underrated character, man. Um Nick, that's that's all I've got for you, man. Thank you, thank you so much okay. for talking to me. It's been a pleasure. Like thank I say, you. you were one of my favorites growing up. Always wanted to talk to you. I've not been doing this for too long myself now, but you were right at the top of the list for people that I wanted to talk to. Um, before I let you go, where where can we find you on social media, websites? Where can we find Midwest All Pro as well? So uh, Eugene is on Twitter and on uh, YouTube. Twitter is at the letter U-G-E-N-E, and then my last name, Dinsmore, D-I-N-S-M-O-R-E. YouTube channel is the Nick Dinsmore. Midwest All Pro Wrestling is on uh, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, Midwest All Pro Wrestling. Twitter is at Midwest All Pro. So check me out, follow me, like, share, subscribe. Yeah, man, absolutely. And guys, as always, you know where to find me or just be down here somewhere at PWCDs. That's where I am everywhere at It's My House podcast or at It's My House pod. Some different platforms won't let me have the same name. And I don't know why, it's very annoying. Um, you're already watching me on YouTube. I'm hoping to get back up on Spotify and everywhere again soon. Thank you, as always, for joining me. Nick, again, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your Independence Day. And everybody, until next time, take care. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.